Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center, a church dedicated to loving God and serving people. Today, Pastor Bridgie continues to teach from the new series, Emmanuel, with the heart for hosting God's presence in our lives. We believe this word will be a blessing to you. Are you ready for the word for today? The book of Exodus, chapter 25 and verse 8. This is God speaking to Moses and Aaron, and God tells them, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. God's desire for the people of Israel was that they will build him a sanctuary. Correct? Correct? No. It says that they would build me a holy sanctuary. There was a particular kind of sanctuary that God required and the Bible says God told them that they should build him a holy sanctuary for what purpose so that God could live among them so we are in this series we are talking about God's presence with us what does it take to host his presence with us and here we see God's desire to dwell with us God's desire to live with us and God says if only you can make me a holy sanctuary a place where I can enjoy a place where I can take pleasure in a place that is holy a place that I can just be uh, revealing myself and my glory and my heart to you then I will in fact I will come and I will live among them so in this season This is an invitation from the Lord. You know, this is not to condemn or look down on anybody who has a struggle or a challenge. But it is an invitation from the Lord, uh, bringing, asking us to come to this place where we will set ourselves apart as a holy sanctuary. See, in the Old Testament, there was a, a physical sanctuary, right? We'll talk about that. But in the New Testament, you and I, we are the sanctuaries. I am the temple of God. We are the temple of God. We are the ones that he desires to dwell in. And so God is telling us, hey, tell my people in BRC, can you prepare for me a place to live in your house, in your body, in your church, in your community? Can you prepare for me some space? Can you prepare some holiness? You know, God is telling us, Can you prepare a place where I can come and be among you? Where I can live among you? So after God tells Moses and Aaron this, saying, hey, you need to to dwell, you need to prepare a holy sanctuary for me. Now God is giving the description of that particular sanctuary. How is it that God wants them to build? Verse 9, it says, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Everybody say, there is a pattern. pattern. So God is now telling Moses and Aaron and telling them, you want to host me and I want to be hosted by you, but there is a pattern that you need to follow. There is a change that you need to bring about and there is things that you need to build and work towards. There is active work required if we need to host His presence. It doesn't happen just like that. You know, God's presence is everywhere, and yet hosting His presence takes work. It takes 
active labor. It takes work like it would take work to build this building, to build a physical church. In the same way, there is active work involved. And, and God says, you need to build it according to the pattern that I will show you. I will show you. So this morning, we are here in the presence of God saying, God, show me your ways. Show me the pattern that is in your heart for my life. Show me the routine that I need to follow on a daily basis. Show me, give me keys that I can apply, that I can do, so that I can also host your presence. See, we think that hosting God's presence is a once in a week thing or a once in a revival meeting, you know, when it happens once in three months, four months, that we will have a revival meeting and, and that is what it takes to host the presence of God. No, that's not true. Hosting God's presence is something that we can do on a consistent basis. If we can just catch that pattern, if we can catch the routine that we need to employ in our lives, you know, see, God is a God of discipline. You may think that God is a very spontaneous God. He does whenever, whatever. But if you read scripture, you will find patterns every time. He moves in patterns. And if we can understand those patterns, we will see the principle behind those patterns. And if we will employ those patterns and those principles into our lives, we will see the same results that these men and women of God received in their lives. So we can host God's presence. Read the next slide with me. We can host God's presence in our lives only to the extent that the pattern of our lives will bring Him pleasure. The pattern of our lives, the routine in our lives, the, the, the discipline of our lives, only to the extent that it brings him pleasure, only to that extent are we going to be able to host his presence. And this week, it is an invitation for all of us to realign our patterns, realign our routines, to do things, to change our lifestyles in such a way that we will uh, bring pleasure to God. We will bring Him pleasure in everything that we do. We will bring Him joy. Now, in the Old Testament, when God told them to build this tabernacle, God gave them a pattern and God gave them instructions as to what to do, what is the measure, which one to use where, what metal to use, which, which curtain to use, which, uh, which skin to use. Even the skin, you know, God would tell them, okay, this, this, uh, this particular leather should be made of goat hair. You know, this should be made of this. And, you know, different things. In, in details, God gave them instruction as to how they should make the tabernacle in the Old Testament. But my focus this morning is specifically on the things that were in the tabernacle. There were seven things in this tabernacle. The first one was the Ark of the Covenant. And we all know about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is almost like a rectangular box. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, nobody were allowed to peep into the Ark of the Covenant. God said, you will not do that. You are not allowed to look into the Ark of the Covenant because my glory, it lives there. It dwells there. So you cannot peep in. But there were three objects that were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. See, we are talking about hosting His presence, right? So this is His presence. In the Old Testament, His presence lived physically upon these objects. Physically, it was tangibly 
visible that his presence is upon this object. So anybody that messes with these objects are messing with the presence of God that is upon these objects, right? Now, in this Ark of the Covenant, there are three objects. Anybody know what are these three objects? The staff of Aaron. Do you know the staff of Aaron? You know, God told them all, all the leaders who wanted to compete with Aaron. This is how voting happened back in the day. How does voting happen now, right? We ballot, right? Back in the day, when they wanted to select a leader, everybody had to bring a staff, a, a stick basically, to church. And they kept it in church overnight. The next morning, the guy whose stick blossomed and, and bore flowers, that was the senior pastor of the church next Sunday. <laughs> Seriously, that's how it worked. And Aaron's rod was the only rod that budded, that blossomed. And that's how God selected Aaron. So as a memorial of what God did, the way that God touched that rod, God told them to leave that staff in my presence because that's not going to decay anymore. It's, a, it's something that has blossomed, that represents how I chose Aaron, that represents how there can be blossoming even to a dry stick. And so let that remain in my presence. That was supposed to be a testimony of how God chose Aaron. Then there was manna. Manna was something that they would get every day. And all the manna that they would get, it had an expiry date. It would, it would rot away by the next day or it would rot away by in, in a few weeks. But there, this manna that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant, it will not rot away because it was kept in the presence of God. You know, there, was so, there are some things that God gives you and it, it could be a testimony, it could be a revelation when God gives you that. It will rot away if it is kept outside the presence of God. It will start decaying if it is outside the glory. But inside the glory, it could be a blessing like a, a, a job that you have received. If you keep it inside the bounds of the glory, it could be a marriage, a relationship, if you keep it inside the presence of God. If it could be a, a house that you have been blessed with. It could be any blessing that God gives you, like the manna that they received in the wilderness. If you can keep that in the Ark of the Covenant, that will not rot. And there was a third thing there. The stone tablets. The the tablets on which God wrote the Ten Commandments that represented God's laws for, the, for His people. And, and that was there in the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark, the second object in this, uh, in this tabernacle was the, the seat of the Ark. It was called the Mercy Seat. The, it's not the seat of the ark, it's the covering of this ark. Okay, there will be a, it's like a, a rectangular board and, and it's, it's covering what is placed in the ark and upon this ark is placed the cherubs. That is the second thing. So whenever the, the priest, they would come in, they would come and put the blood on the seat, on the mercy seat. Okay, and the Bible says God's presence would dwell there between the two cherubs. The third thing, these are the two things in the most holy place. The third thing that you would see is the lampstand. 
you know, there will be a, a lampstand and it is supposed to be uh, burning all the time. And that's what, uh, and there is specific directions given as to how it should be burning, how the light should be. Then we see the showbread. On the, the showbread, you know, see, the, so the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant is in the most holy place. And then in the holy place, we see the lampstand, the showbread, and the incense altar. There are three things in the holy place. Okay? Now, the lampstand, it represents the, the light. You know, it represents a place where God's presence is always available. You know, God, God was telling them, hey, this is, the, uh, is representing my presence among you. So don't let it die. Let it remain on all the night. I am a God who is watching over my people. God said, you know, not only are you supposed to have the lampstand, but you're also supposed to keep a showbread. And on the showbread, you're supposed to keep fresh bread every morning. Fresh bread every time you come. You should keep it on the showbread. Now, each of these articles, it represented something very powerful. And then there was an incense altar. The incense altar, it represented the prayers that will rise up into the presence of God. Whereas the showbread, it represents the word of God, the, the bread of life. Here was the incense altar which represented prayer that was constantly arising to the presence of God. And then there was a wash basin. This was outside, okay, in the outer courtyard. There are three sections to this tabernacle. The outer courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place. So the, the, the most holy place will have the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. The holy place will have the lampstand, the showbread, and the incense altar. And the outer courtyard will have two things. It will have the wash basin or the, this is the bronze wash basin where you can go and wash yourself before entering into the tabernacle. And then there is a sacrificial altar. There are two types of altars in this uh, tabernacle. One is the incense altar and another is the sacrificial altar. On the incense altar, you offer incense to God. On the sacrificial altar, you offer sacrifices. Okay? Those are, so those are the seven objects in the tabernacle. Why am I talking to you about this? Because all these seven objects were sacred to God. God was extremely particular to make sure. See, the reason I've mentioned the scriptures there is so that you can go back home and study these seven uh, objects that were there in the tabernacle. Now, God was very particular as to who will touch these objects, who will handle them, who will, do, uh, who will carry them from one place to the other. Let's read Numbers chapter 4 and verse 2. The Bible says, Record the names of the members of the clans and the families of the Kohathite division of the tribe of Levi. See, God had chosen the tribe of Levi for the purpose of serving him. The whole Levite tribe was chosen. Now, out of the Levite tribe, Levi had about three sons. And out of the three sons, God chose Kohath and his generations to do a particular task. See, Kohath was the second son of Levi. He was not the firstborn. And yet God chose him because I believe it's primarily because Moses and Aaron came from Kohath. You know, he was from the, uh, from the, the family of Kohathite division. 
Now, the Bible says, God is now telling them, you need to record the names of the members of the clans and the families of the Kohathite division of the tribe of Levi. Why? Now, you need to list all the men between the ages of 30 and 50. Because these are the ones who are eligible to serve in the tabernacle. Okay, God is now giving instructions to, as to who are the people who can serve in this tabernacle. God is first giving them instructions as to the tabernacle and all the things in the tabernacle, how they should prepare uh, and how they should mold uh, all those details. And then God gives them instructions as to who are the people who can come close to these sacred objects that are inside the tabernacle. And they had to be of a particular family line. They had to be in Kohathite clan of the tribe of Levi. And they had to be between the ages of 30 and 50. Okay? It says, the next verse, it says, The duties of the Kohathites at the tabernacle will relate to the most sacred objects. Now, see, the Gershonites on the other hand, so you, know, you know that Levi had multiple children, right? The other tribes, or not the other tribes, the tribe is the tribe of Levi, but the other clans, the other families of Levites, they were the ones who would carry the, the tent pegs or the, the tabernacle. You know, the tabernacle is a massive structure, right? They would have to make sure everything is in order. They are the ones who will handle all of that. But the Kohathite, their job was specifically to handle these seven objects that we read about. You heard the seven objects. What are the seven things? The Ark of the Covenant. The Mercy Seat. The Lampstand. The Showbread. The Incense Altar. The, the Wash Basin. And the Sacrificial Altar. So this was sacred for God. God said, Nobody else can touch. Even if you're in the tribe of Levi, you cannot touch this. Even if you're in Kohathite family, unless you're between the ages of 30 and 50, if you're a male, only then you're allowed to touch this. Okay? Their duties will relate to carrying the sacred objects in relation to the sacred objects. So, so it was their job to make sure this is clean. It's their job to make sure that this is taken care of. It's their job to make sure that everything is in place. It says, the camp will be ready to move when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the sacred articles. So this is how it will happen, okay? Whenever they want to move from one place to the other, first, see, Aaron and his sons, they are also priests, but now they are specifically, they are also from the Kohathite clan, they are also in the Kohath family, but... Aaron and his sons were the only ones who could physically touch these things. Okay? Do you see the bigger... There are 12 tribes of Israel, out of which God chose Levite tribe. In the tribe of Levi, God chose a Kohathite family. And inside the Kohathite family, God chose Aaron and his sons. Now, their job was specifically to make sure that that all the instruments is taken care of. Now, everything that happens in the tabernacle will happen under their direction, okay? So the Bible says when they have to move from one place to the other, first, Aaron and his sons will come in, and then Aaron will say, take off that curtain, okay? The inner curtain, he will take off that curtain, 
and they will cover the Ark of the Covenant from top to bottom. And then there is a different curtain. There's a, a curtain made of goat hair. They will bring that and they will cover the Ark of the Covenant. In the same way, they will cover each things in the Ark. Okay? Each of the material in the Ark, they will cover it properly. The Aaron and his sons, they will do this. And only then will it be allowed to move from one place to the other. Because the Kohathites, although they were allowed to handle this, the rest of the Kohathites I'm talking about, other than Aaron's sons, though they were allowed to handle it, they were not allowed to touch it bare. They cannot touch it directly. You understand what I'm saying? So it had to be covered before they could come and carry these objects from one place to the other. It says in Numbers chapter 7 and verse 9, it says, But he gave none of the wagons or oxen to the Kohathite division. Why? Since they were required to carry the sacred objects of the tabernacle on their shoulders. See, all the other Levite clans, right? Like the Gershonites and the Mirarites, all those clans, they got wagons to carry all the heavy stuff. Now, these things in the tabernacle, they are also very heavy. But God said, these things you cannot carry on a cart. These things, you cannot put it on a cart. You have to carry them personally because they are sacred, because they carry my presence. So when God assigned, you know, when God assigned special vehicles, cars, you know, transportation from one place to the other, God said, you Kohathite guys, no car for you. You have to walk all the way and you have to carry this on your own shoulders. So often, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what happens with us Christians. We outsource the carrying of God's presence to somebody else. You cannot outsource carrying God's presence to, to a speaker that is playing some songs in your house. You have to sing a song yourself. It is supposed to be carried on your shoulder. You cannot outsource carrying God's presence to the worship team who is on the stage. You cannot outsource your duty to carry the sacred presence of God. It is our privileged church. You cannot outsource it to the pastor who is supposed to come to church after three hours of prayer. No, no, no. You have to do your part of being able to carry the presence of God. This is your sacred calling. This is your responsibility. So do not outsource your calling of carrying the presence of God. These guys were not allowed to put it on a cart. They were supposed to carry it themselves. There was once when they put it on a cart. Do you know that story? Once when they tried putting, out a, putting it on a cart. I don't know for what reason, for what joy. Or is it because the right Kohathites were not available? Uh, they were not at the right age. Whatever reason they had, they put the Ark of the Covenant on a, on a cart. And they took it from one place to the other. And the Bible says there was death in that place. So let's read it further. Numbers chapter 4 verse 15. It says the Kohathites will come and carry these things to the next destination. So first, Aaron and his sons, what do they come? What do they do? They come and cover everything. And then the rest of the Kohathites will come and they'll, they'll carry it. How? On their? They will carry it on their shoulders to the next destination. But they must not touch 
the sacred objects or they will die. You understand what I'm saying? Because now it's covered. If they touch it without touching, without the covering, then they will die. Then they will die. I'm telling you, in this season, you, you, you and I, we have to be aware of the, the protection. You know, there, there, you need a protection to be able to walk with God. You need a grace to be able to walk with God. You know, if you read scriptures, anybody that has walked with God without, a, uh, without any patterns, without a discipline, without that protection, man, their end has been really bad. So you, if you have to carry this presence of God, even in the New Testament, I'll tell you this, this Jesus is our covering. The presence of Jesus is our covering today. The, the, the work of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that is what allows us to carry the presence of God on our shoulders. See, just like Aaron and his sons would come and cover, you know, that rep- represented the high priestly work of Aaron and his sons. The same way our high priest, he allows us to carry the presence of God. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it will say, don't you know that now we have a high priest in heaven? So now come into his presence boldly. Now you and I, we can host the presence of God. That's what we were talking about in the last few weeks. That Jesus is the reason why we can have the presence of God. Jesus is the one who opened the door for us to carry the presence of God. Jesus is the one that we are united with because of which we can experience the presence of God. Jesus is the one in whom we live and who lives in us because of which we can experience the glory of God. This glory of God that can kill people. This glory of God that can, that can cause you to, you know, be wiped out. It is accessible to you and I because of the covering work of Jesus. That's why he said, but they must not touch it directly. You and I, we cannot touch the presence of God except through Jesus. It says, this is what you must do so that they will live and not die. It says, when they approach the most sacred objects. What are the sacred objects? One more time, revise. The Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, the Lampstand, the Showbread, the Incense Altar, the Wash Basin, and the Sacrificial Altar. It says, they, when they approach the most sacred objects, Aaron and his sons, what will they do? They will go in with them. With whom? The Kohathites, the rest of the Kohathites, okay? See, Aaron and his sons are also Kohathites, but their duty was to cover these objects, to come and pack them up properly with all the curtains and everything that God had assigned, right? And now, what Aaron and his sons will do is they will now begin to assign a specific duty or load to each person. And Aaron will say, Pinky, Go carry the brazen altar. You know, Aaron will assign to each and every person, okay, you, 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 you carry this. And according to how much they did what they were assigned to do, they did not die. See, read, read, the, read the statement. What did it say? This is what you must do so that they will live and should not die. When they approach these sacred objects, Aaron and his sons should also go in and what should they do? They should assign specific duties and say, you stick to this. 
You stick to this. This is your assignment. You stick to doing this. Yeah, we are all, uh, come on, we are all Kohathites. We will all carry the presence of God. But there is specific assignments over each and every one of our lives. And that assignment is our protection in our pursuit of God's presence. You should understand, even when you're pursuing God's presence, the one reason why so many people fall prey, I've heard people say, oh wait, I went to pray for a demon-possessed person and look at me, it backfired. Now I am uh, all sick and now I am demon-possessed and you know, all of that, people come back. You know why that happens? That doesn't happen because you know, you prayed the wrong thing or whatever. It happens because sometimes you go outside your assignment. When you remain in your assignment, you know that you're called for this. See, there are times when I've walked into a city and I have seen the principality of the city and I will not touch, I will not rebuke, I will not engage. Because I know that's not my assignment. I know at that time my assignment is a tiny church that I'd be sent to minister to. I will go minister to that tiny church and I come back. And there are other times when God sends me out on an assignment. I may not even have a church to preach in, but I know I'm going on an assignment. There was this one morning God asked me to, this is on a Sunday morning, I don't do this on a Sunday morning. But God just pushed me to go and walk around the whole town. And God said, before you go to minister the word, you go and cover the whole town. And God gave me specific things to declare. And when you do that, you have the protection for that. So you have to stick to the assignment that you've been given. Don't just assume everything. Oh, this looks nice. My picture will come on the social media. And, you know, I'd like to buy, can you, I'd like to be in the worship team. No, no, stick to what is assigned to you by your Aaron. Because you are protected in, under your assignment. If you move outside your assignment, you may be pursuing good thing. I want to carry the presence of God. I want to carry the sacred articles. But that assignment, that, that thing that you do outside the assignment can actually hurt you. It says the next verse. It says, the Kohathites must never enter the sanctuary to even forget about touching what does it say? They must not enter to just even to look at that sacred object for even a moment, a second. You know, if you say, okay, I'll just, I just came to look for a few seconds. God says, hey, even for a moment, don't look at these objects because if you do, then you will what? Am I, am I trying to scare you guys this morning? I'm teaching you some principles. Let me read this out, okay? Read it with me. My assignment is my protection in my pursuit of His presence. One more time. My assignment is my protection in my pursuit of His presence. One more time. My assignment is my protection in my pursuit of His presence. Now, your, your natural, normal question would be, so what is my assignment? Where do I get my assignment? In His presence. When you stay in His presence long enough, your assignment will come looking for you. We are all running after our calling and our, uh, our assignment and, you know, let me, let me go preach to the lost and raise the dead. No, you stay in the presence. Your assignment will come in His presence. 
if you can stay there long enough. And once that assignment comes, then you go to preach. You'll be protected. You'll be covered. You will not be a casualty. Come on, I don't know who this is for, but I'm telling you, you will not be a casualty. You are not going to be a casualty in the name of Jesus. You know, these Kohathites, they, they were celebrated in, in, in Israel because they were the ones, the special ones who got to touch the presence of God. Not directly, but through the covering, they got to carry the presence of God. They had this sacred responsibility of carrying the sacred objects. So let's go to First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22. The descendants of Kohath. Are you, are you ready to read this with me? The descendants of Kohath included Aminadab, Korah, Asir, Elkanah, Abiasaf, Asir, Tahat, Uriel, Uzziah, and Shaul. The descendants of Elkanah included Amasai, Ahimoth, Elkanah, Zophai, Nahat, Eliab, Jeroam, Elkanah, and so who was Samuel? But who was he? Who was he a descendant of? Who was he a descendant of? Kohath. So Samuel, the boy Samuel, he was a Kohathite. He was a Kohathite. Okay? See, now you know the story, you know the background story where Elkanah had two wives. Not applicable today. Back in the Bible days. Back in those days, for whatever reason, they had two wives. Don't do that at home. Don't do it here. Okay? He had two wives. He, uh, you know, he loved Hannah and he didn't really, you know, pay attention to Penina. But out of Hannah was born a son. After a lot of prayer, after a lot of covenants that were made with God. And Hannah made this covenant saying, God, if you would give me the, a son, one, he will belong to you all the days of his life, which means he's going to be a Nazarite. You know, he, he was set apart to be a Nazarite. Second, he is going to be living in your house. I'm going to give him off. I'm, I'm no longer going to be his mother. I'm going to release him to serve in your house. Okay? Now, as the story goes, when Samuel was ready to live without Hannah, Hannah released him into the house of God. And who was the priest in the days, in those days? Who was the priest? Eli was the priest. Okay? You remember, out of the 12 tribes, there is a tribe of Levi. Out of the tribe of Levi, there is a clan of Kohath. Even in the clan of Kohath, only Aaron's descendants could become priests. And the first son would always be the high priest. Okay? So, Eli was the high priest, the judge of Israel at that point. And that is when Samuel is born. So now, she had dedicated Samuel to serve God. So she said, here is how I will give uh, my you know, son to God. I will go, I will allow him to go and serve the man of God who is serving us. That is how I'm dedicating him to serve God. Okay? So she gives his, her son uh, to assist Eli. Let me read that for you. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, meanwhile, the boy, everybody say the boy. 
Who was he? He was a boy. The boy Samuel served the Lord. How did he serve the Lord? By assisting Eli. See, we all want to get into the Kohathite uh, you know, job and go and carry the tabernacle, do all of that. But what did, how did Samuel serve God? By, by serving Eli. See, right now, he was not qualified to get in there. He had to be between the ages of 30 and 50. He was not allowed to, to even look at it for a moment. He was not allowed to do that. But see, something happened at this point when, when he begin to, begins to live under Eli. Is that according to the laws of that day, when this happens, Eli is going to adopt Samuel as his own son. It's technically like Eli is saying, or Samuel is saying, okay, from today onwards, you are my spiritual father. Wow. I, I, I don't belong to the Aaronic priest line, but because my mother and my father have intentionally given me away, have disconnected from me, now I belong to this house. Wow. Now the father of this house is my father. So he's coming under the covering of Eli. Now, see, Eli is the same guy who called his mother a drunkard. Eli is the same guy whose house is filled with immorality. They are taking bribes, they are abusing the women that are coming to worship in church and all of that. And yet, Eli was the man that was appointed by God to serve in Israel at that point. And Samuel chose to assist this guy. Samuel's parents found it okay for Samuel to assist Eli. And the Bible says this is how he served God. He served God by assisting and helping Eli. It says in the next verse, Now in those days, messages from the Lord was very rare. And the visions were quite uncommon. But one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. You remember the lamp? In the tabernacle, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel, where was he sleeping? Here is Samuel. Where is he sleeping? In the tabernacle, near. Do you understand why I gave you all the history? He was not allowed to do this. One, he is not between the ages of 30 and 50. Second, even if he is, he's not supposed to go in and see these things unless it is first covered by the priest. Come on now, are you understanding what I'm trying to tell you? He had now switched off his loyalty to his father Elkanah and uh, Hannah and now he had connected to a different grace. Now he had connected to the Aaronic grace because Eli was a descendant of Aaron. Now he could walk into the presence of God he could even sleep in the presence of God. He could lie down there in the presence of God. He can just serve there in the presence of God because his relationships changed. Because his alignment, his loyalties changed. Check this out. Now this boy, this Kohathite boy is now under a different grace and now he's sleeping in the presence of God. Now he's drawing himself closer to the ark of God. I'm telling you this. You may criticize Eli for all that you want. If Eli taught Samuel to stay in the presence of God, that's a good teacher. 
I'm telling you, any ministry, any pastor, any, any leader that pushes you into the presence of God is worth submitting to. Trust me. See, you have to be, you have to be aware of those leaders that are going to draw you to them and not to the presence of God. But if there are leaders, if there are voices in your life that are pushing you into the presence of God, I'm telling you, it's worth submitting to. You know, Eli, for Eli, the presence of God was so, so serious that the Bible says when he heard that the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, the guy had a heart attack and he died. Because for him, the presence of God was everything. And he couldn't take the thought of the nation of Israel not having the presence of God. He was okay in his son's dying, but when he heard that the presence of God was taken away from the nation, the Bible says, Eli, he just fell back, broke his neck and died. Nobody killed him, but he just died because the presence of God was everything to Eli. And the Bible says, Eli, of course he was an old man, but he taught, it says he had come to a place where he couldn't see anymore. He was that old. But he taught Samuel something. Samuel, I'll tell you this. Now you're not a Kohathite anymore. Now you're under my grace. Now under this family line, you're allowed to go in there. You're allowed to go in and see these objects face to face. See, one of the reasons why these priests would remain in the tabernacle is to make sure that the lamp is burning all through the night. They had to keep the lamp burning till sunrise. Okay? So the Bible says Samuel was sleeping and the lamp had not gone yet had not gone out yet okay so anytime it would go off he had to go and turn it back on put it back on that's how he assisted Eli this is his job he was assisting Eli now here is Samuel who is submitting to Eli and because of that submission to Eli he's been pushed into the presence of God he's been pushed into encounters with God He's been pushed into a lifestyle of being in the presence of God. He's been pushed. I'm telling you, in this season, if you can find those people that can push you into the presence of God and spend more time with them and associate with them and bless them, give them offerings, give them gifts, doesn't matter what you have to do. Associate with people that can push you into the tabernacle. Those associations will become a blessing to you. Those associations will change your destiny. Because if you can be pushed into the presence of God, you know what happens next there. In the presence of God. See, this boy has been doing this probably from the age of five. He's been doing this every day. He's been going to sit in the presence of God and to hear the, you know, just to do the regular jobs of, you know, uh, cleaning the brazen altar, to clean the, the, the bronze wash basin and to make sure the incense is not spilling off and if there is any ashes to put it or uh, uh, take it away and then he's just doing the regular mundane routine like jobs to make sure that the tabernacle is exactly according to the pattern that God gave to Moses and Aaron. He's just making sure that's happening all through the time his, of, of him assisting Eli. And one day, one day, come on, somebody said, one day, suddenly, it says suddenly, are you ready for this? Suddenly, the Lord called out Samuel. See, the thing is, we all want that calling, we all want that, you know, anointing, that grace. But that grace comes first with submission, 
that submission, if it is taking you into the presence of God, then you stay there and you remain faithful in the presence of God. It may not look very powerful. I mean, come on, cleaning the lamp. How powerful can it be? How much of goosebumps will you get in, in cleaning the lamp? Anybody who've got back home and said, wow, I, today was such a powerful service. What did you do, brother? I laid, I laid all the chairs. So it was a very powerful service. It, it, it doesn't feel powerful. Come on now. If somebody raised from the dead in your ministry, you'll say, oh, what a powerful. But I just, all I did was to put the chairs. All I did was to just hand out the flyers. All I did was to, you know, just encourage the people that were coming in and show them their right seats. The small things, the mundane things, I kept doing it day after day, year after year. And finally, one day, the voice of God came. And God called out to Samuel, saying, Samuel. And in fact, the, the funny thing is, Samuel replied, saying, yes, what is it? Because he actually thought this is Eli. See, this is the thing. He, he believed that this is Eli because I personally believe that it was actually Eli's voice that God used to speak to Samuel. See, why would Samuel go to Eli three times? Three times, Samuel would go to Eli and say, why are you calling me? He didn't say, it sounded like your voice. Were you truly the one? No, he was convinced that Eli was the one who called. See, come on. Eli, Samuel has been living with Eli for a bit. He knows Eli's voice now. He knows if it is not Eli's voice. He may rather say, Eli, I heard somebody calling me. Whose voice could it be? But that's not what he said. He went straight to Eli and said, yes, what is it? What do you want me to do? I'm here at your service. Because it was Eli's voice that God used to speak to Samuel. So sometimes God will do that with you. You know, sometimes God will use your leaders, your pastors, your father's voice to speak to you. But that's not your father. That's God giving you an instruction. And here the Bible says this guy went to the father to get further instruction. See, if he would have just said, oh, wait, it's the middle of the night, the wrong time to do this. He would never have had that encounter with God. But he went to his father and he said, yes, father, how can I serve you? What can I do? Tell me what next. I heard your voice calling me to come. And so, so the next this, read this statement with me. You, when you stay in the presence of God, that is the best pathway to hear from God. When you stay in the presence of God. Okay? It is not, you know, you don't have to fast and pray for 40 days. Just intentionally stay in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, you will hear from the voice of God. Amen? The Bible says in verse 5, he got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed. And so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went back to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. So Samuel, the Bible says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So he'd been in the presence of God. He'd been serving the man of God and yet he did not know God. See, there is a level of intimacy that comes from you hearing God that cannot be replaced with anything else. Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. 
But we think it begins with that. No, it doesn't necessarily always begin with that. It begins with first submitting to an Eli and that Eli doing what Eli has asked you to do and staying in the presence of God. If Eli says, go sleep in the church, you go sleep in the church for days at a stretch. See, Eli is sleeping on a nice, comfortable bed, right? Do you see that? In any of the portions that we read, do you see any bed in the tabernacle? Any comfortable place to sleep in the tabernacle? So hosting this presence of God is not going to be a comfortable thing. But he was still willing to be there in the tabernacle, in that tent of meeting. And he would stay there. And the Bible says, at this point, because he had not yet heard the message from God, heard a voice of God, he did not know God yet. He knew about God. There were several levels of submission to God that he had experienced. But yet, there was a deep intimacy that he was about to enter into when he hears from God himself. Can I just pray that over you, church? That this will be a season when you will have that deep intimacy. Come on, if you don't, if you don't receive anything else, this is something you cannot miss. Because the Lord wants to take your intimacy to the next level. The Bible says that Samuel, who could be in the presence of God, this Samuel, who could see the objects that nobody else could see, this Samuel who could touch the objects that nobody in his family had touched, had still yet to grow. So don't be satisfied just because you get to be in the tabernacle, just because you get to touch, just because you get to see. Don't be satisfied because there is more that God wants to give you. There is more that God wants to release. I, I know that you have served your Eli. I know that you might have done all these things, but there is more. Because God says, that Samuel did not yet know the Lord because God had not given him a message yet. So this season, this week, be ready to hear some messages from God. Be ready to experience some fresh intimacy from his presence. Can I say it like this? Hearing God's voice is the best pathway to intimacy. What was the best pathway to hearing God's voice? Staying in his presence or hosting his presence is the best pathway to hearing his voice. And hearing his voice is the best pathway to intimacy. Intimacy is not just us feeling goosebumps. Intimacy is hearing from God. Because God said, Samuel did not know God yet. You know, knowing happens in intimacy, right? says, Samuel did not know God yet because he had not heard from God yet. So when you hear from God and you make it a practice to hear God's voice, that sets you up to a lifestyle of intimacy. That's the best pathway to intimacy. It says, so the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized... The Bible says Eli, finally, he realized that it was not a, a fa infatuation, that it is actually from the Lord. Eli had to realize it. Says, so Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Check this out. This boy kept going back to the man of God till the man of God redirected him. Wow. Wow. He didn't say, man, this guy has no revelation of God. Let me go find it from somewhere else or let me try this on my own. No. 
He kept going back to the man of God. In spite of the man of God not having any clue of what this is coming from. It took three visits to the man of God for the man of God to finally realize this is from God. But he kept going back to the man of God saying, man of God, I heard again. What should I do? You know, first time, man of God said, go back to sleep, son. Nothing's happening tonight. No visitations is happening today. No revelations. Go back to sleep. Second time, it happened again. Man of God said, no, nothing, son. Absolutely nothing. God should also speak to me, no? <laughs> the third time, the man of God said, okay, let me, let me redirect you. I think I know where this is coming from. Third time. Can you imagine his consistency? He's the guy who has access into the presence of God. He's technically doing Eli's job in the tent. And now he's still submitting to Eli saying, you tell me what to do about this. He's going back to Eli and finally Eli said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. This is what you'll speak. When you pray, when you hear his voice next, pray this prayer. What did he say? It says, so he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel again went back to bed. The Bible says, and the Lord came and called as before this time saying, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied saying, speak, your servant is listening. Because now I have a direction from my prophet as to what do I say. Now I know what to say. So he said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Bible says, then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. Let me prophesy this. I'm about to do a shocking thing in Bangalore. And God is going to entrust that, not, not to the Elijah. Not to the ones that are sitting in positions of power, but God is going to entrust that to some Samuels who know their place in the presence of God, that know their relationship with their man of God, that know their commitment to the presence of God. God is about to show what he's going to do to some Samuels in this house. And I'm not talking about next year, I'm talking about this week. That God is going to show you some shocking things, some shocking things that he is about to do. And that was the birth, the beginning of the prophet Samuel. Till this point, he was not a prophet. Till this point, he was a priest or an assistant to a priest. So he was doing all the things that uh, Aaron, Aaronite priest should do inside the tabernacle. Not even a courtite. An Aaronite priest because of his covering. Now he's under a different covering. So what he would do in the tabernacle is what he was doing. Now from this point onwards, he found his calling. Then he didn't remain, you know, he didn't continue in his ministry as a priest after that. Now he, he switched into the role of a prophet. See this. Check this out, okay? He, 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 you know, Samuel did not remain as a priest all his life. That was not the call of God over his life. But for a certain season, when he came under the covering of Eli, he functioned as a priest. He functioned as a person who would serve inside the tabernacle. Till the time where he would encounter God and this priest would help him to encounter God for himself. And then he would move on to do what God has called him to do for his entire life. In the presence of God, I told you this before, in the presence of God, you discover your calling. 
in the presence of God, you discover what you're meant to do with your life in the presence of God. Don't run out. Don't run to a counselor in the presence of God. You run, you find the answers, you know. Another descendant of Kohath in the New Testament was Zechariah. Do you know Zechariah was serving in the temple? He was one of those guys who was serving. He was not just a Kohathite, he was also in the family of Aaron. That's the only way he can do what he's supposed to be doing, what he's doing right now. And his son was John the Baptist, who was also somebody like Eli. Okay, let's read about John the Baptist. It says in John chapter 1 verse 35, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. Now, who is John? He's a, he's the, he's a, he's a priest. Okay, let's call him a priest. Okay, if his father is a priest, then he is also a priest. Okay, so who is John? John is a priest. So the Bible says the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. Okay, so... Just picture this in the same way, just like Eli had a Samuel, now John has a few disciples. So what did John do with them? The Bible says, as Jesus walked by, what did John do? John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God. Look, he's the one. He's the one I've been talking to you about. He's the one we've been dreaming about. He's the one we've been desiring about. See, I cannot encounter him, but I, can, I have my own life, my own calling, but he is the one that we've been talking about all along. And what, did, what happened? It says, when John's two disciples heard this, what did they do? They followed whom? Jesus. Look at this. Who is the priest? John is the priest. Now, here comes the the Lamb of God, the Bible calls him the guy in whom the, the guy, it says, God tabernacled among us through Jesus. So this is the walking tabernacle of God on the planet Earth at that time, right? So here is a Levite, he is a, here is a priest who has a disciple who is following him, who is assisting him, just like Samuel was assisting Eli. But this disciple, this priest had the humility to redirect his disciple to the tabernacle and say, go to him. He is the answer. He is the solution. In him, you will find your calling. In him, you will find your purpose. It's not in me. I will give you direction. You are my disciple right now, but my job is to redirect you to him. So any leader, any pastor, anybody you are associating with, if they are not doing that, you don't have to be associating with them. You have to carefully guard who you associate with and who you listen to, even if it's online. If you're listening to a man of God that is drawing them, drawing you to themselves and not to the Lamb of God, oh my God, we are in a terrible place. We have to learn to identify the Eli's and the John the Baptist of our generation. Here is the John the Baptist. He has his own needs, my brother. He has his own uh, areas of life. See, he lives in the wilderness, right? So I'm hoping that his disciples were the one who brought the people out there for baptism and his disciples helped him. They brought food supplies and they did all that. And here is John the Baptist who is willing to lose that so that they can encounter their purpose. They can follow the literal physical presence of God on the planet earth at that time. So they followed Jesus and then Jesus, he was going on 
he looked around and saw them following. And he asked them, what do you want, guys? So the Lord is going to ask you this question this week when you sit in his presence. He's going to ask you, okay, you're, you're coming after me, so what do you want? What do you want, church? Here is the answers this, these disciples gave. They replied saying, Rabbi, which means teacher. He said, they asked him saying, where, where are you staying? We, we are not here because we want something from you. We just want to know where you are staying. Because if we can locate where you are staying, we are staying there as well. That's it. And Jesus replied to them saying, come and see. And the Bible says, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. In fact, they turned out to be his first disciples that would follow him for the rest of their lives. Now, check this out, okay? These disciples were married men. They had families back home. But they followed Jesus to the edge and they were like, oh my God, I, I don't think I can go back anywhere now. Now I'm just going to stay here. I'm just, I, I have encountered. See, John the Baptist had prepared them to see this lamb of God. John the Baptist should talk about this lamb who will come, who will come, who will come. Finally, when he came, John the Baptist said, here is the man that I was talking to you about. Although John couldn't follow Jesus, these guys decided, okay, that's it. Thank you, John. And they followed Jesus. And they, in fact, Jesus had to turn around and ask them, why are you following me? What do you want? Do you want to be healed? Do you want a breakthrough? Do you want money? Do you want promotion? What do you want? Why are you following me? They said, nothing. We don't want anything. We just want to know where you are staying. And I just want to locate myself there. And Jesus said, just come and see where I'm staying. And these guys, they just go lock themselves to where Jesus was staying. And they stayed with Jesus for the rest of their lives. That was their commitment. And the Bible goes on to say, Jesus would eventually, it says, then he appointed these 12. Okay, these two became, one of them was Andrew. Andrew, the Bible says, the next verse, he would go and bring Peter. And these guys ultimately became 12, right? It says, then he appointed the 12, whom he also called apostles, so that they might be with him and so that he might send them out to preach. You understand, they found their calling where? Where did they find their calling? Come on, I'm trying to drive a concept here. Not with John. With John, they found the presence. But when they found the presence, in the presence is where they found their calling. See, your relationship with your man of God, with your pastors, with your leaders is not necessarily going to give you the calling. It is going to drive you to go back to the presence of God. And it is in that presence of God is where you will encounter, where you will receive your calling. That is where you will receive what God wants you to do for the rest of your life. Look at these guys. They left everything and they just followed him. Because Jesus made this statement saying, come and see. This week, the Lord is inviting us, church. Come and see what is in store for you. Come and see. What do you want? Do you want blessings? Do you want wealth? Or do you want to know where I am staying? Do you want to know my place of residence? If you can discover that, if you can discover, okay, where does Jesus stay? What is Jesus doing? How does Jesus sleep? You know, for these guys, it was physical. 
right? They, they had to go to a physical location where Jesus was staying, and they had to stay there. For you and I, it, it's not a physical place, but we can ask the Lord to show us. Lord, show us. Because Jesus is inviting us, come and see. If we can just see where what he's showing, and if we can just go plug ourselves to that place where he is, what he is doing, we are successful. That is our success. Our success is not in how much money we earned and how much families we had and how none of that determines our success. Our success is in how well we are able to plug in to God's presence. Because if we can plug into God's presence long enough, we will hear his voice there. If we can hear his voice there, we will experience intimacy there. And out of our intimacy with him is born our calling, is born our careers, is born our ministries, is born everything that we will do. You know, this is technically in continuation to what we learned last week. Where Jesus said, hey, if you, if you live in me and I live in you, you will do works and you will do greater works than this. Not just works, but greater works. But that will happen. There is a process. You, you go through it one step at a time and you finally reach there. Jesus is calling us. Come and see. Thank you for downloading today's sermon. We hope this ministered to you and your family today. Connect with us at dreamingrevival.com and you are welcome to join in to any of our Sunday celebration service at 11 a.m. Or you can tune in to our live stream at youtube.com slash Pastor Priji. God bless you and have a blessed week.